Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I think there's probably two, two prongs there. One is if it's a... If the investor, when the investor comes to us, it's our job to do a lot more behind the scenes work or work with them to identify their, what we would call their investment profile, which frankly doesn't have a whole lot to do with picking the actual investment or making a recommendation for an investment. So there's there, a big part of our job is doing a lot of that, making sure that we get that down packed and properly represented so that then we can make a good recommendation. But the other prong of that would be to think about making an investment in a company with, you mentioned the due diligence phrase earlier. That was Andrew Gay from the Texas Hill Country Advisors. In this part two of a special two-part podcast series on FTX and risk, we take a look at due diligence questions the individual investor should ask, but were not asked in FTX investments. First, a quick message from our sponsor. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back for another episode. Today, I have with me Andrew Gay and Gilbert Pies. And Andrew has a quick disclaimer to read before we get started for our pod. Andrew? Hi there. Securities and investment advisory services offered through Next Financial Group member FINRA SIPC. Texas Hill Country Advisors is not an affiliate of Next Financial Group. This material is not intended as an offer or solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security or other financial instrument. Past performance does not guarantee future performance. All the views expressed are those of Andrew Gay and Gilbert Pies and Texas Hill Country Advisors and not those of Next Financial Group. The S&P 500 is a market cap weighted index composed of common stocks of 500 leading companies in leading industries of the U.S. economy. And the Dow Jones Industrial Average is a price weighted index of 30, 30 actively traded blue chip stocks. I wanted to take this kind of deep dive exploration into your professional, not your professional backgrounds, but your work professionally before you started your new business was to really see how this contrasted with FTX and all of the things you've detailed, either none of them were present with FTX (laughs) or I guess none of them were present. And so that's part of the FTX equation. But there's another part of that equation that I wanted to visit with you guys and really focus now on your new business as financial advisors. 
Because risk management for the individual investor, and I know, Andrew, you teach and try to help educate about financial literacy, but many people perhaps could balance a checkbook, but they may not understand that their investment is really their responsibility and that they need to do some looking who they're investing with and what they're investing. So I really wanted to explore that topic in the in part two or the second part of the podcast and really start with, and once again, we're going to tie it to FTX. When someone comes to you and says, we want to invest X, how do you help guide them through that part of the process? I think there's probably two two prongs there. One is if it's a, if the investor, when the investor comes to us, it's our job to do a lot more behind the scenes work or work with them to identify their, what we would call their investment profile, which frankly doesn't have a whole lot to do with picking the actual investment or making a recommendation for an investment. So there's there a big part of our job is doing a lot of that, making sure that we get that down packed and properly represented so that then we can make a good recommendation. But the other prong of that would be to think about making an investment in a company. If you mentioned the due diligence phrase earlier, that's a big deal, right? And the quote that comes to mind is, and I can't remember if it was Buffett or it was someone, some investing wizard like that, but it says, imagine if you could only make four investments in your entire life. That was the only four investment decisions you got your in your entire life. You might take a little more deeper dive maybe than you otherwise would into those investment decisions. In, in FTX's case, it, it turns out that most of the stuff on the surface was not really there. It was a facade, but it almost seems like there wasn't anybody to really dig deeper and pull that those layers back to actually look. It seems like if they would have done that, whether it was an investigative journalist or a regulator, an industry colleague or peer, they would have seen that. So, you know, that in that case, we're talking about the health of the actual company to the financial literacy point, one of the things that I get to educate about is like a balance sheet, personal balance sheet, what you own versus what you owe. And the difference is equity, positive or negative. Companies call it one thing. Individuals call it something else, your net worth. But at the end of the day, it's all the same math equation and it all is made up of the same components. I think really there to start off your question, Gilbert, if you want to jump in here, those would be the two ways I would splice that question. Good points, Andrew. I would say this, at least from my perspective, when we visit with a client and the client comes to us and says, hey, it's a new client. We have X amount of dollars to invest. Where do we start? We do all the stuff that a big institution does. In fact, because we're so highly regulated in the business that we're in, we're not only required, but mandated by federal law and state laws and our broker dealer, the people that supervise what we do, to do the same thing that a big institution would do. The only difference is that for us, Thanks to technology, we're able to do many of the same things. So we have to collect all the information about clients. We we do a lot of risk mitigation work in advance of opening the account and before we even make a recommendation. So we're collecting all the data. We're asking questions. One of the things that people don't recognize, too, is that, that we're not only financial advisors, but we're information collectors, data gatherers. We have to do a mini psychological exam on people using just the tools of conversation because we have to ascertain people's ability to make their own decisions. Do It's true 
every day that we talk to somebody, there's a lot of stuff that we have to do before we ever get to the point of making a recommendation. We do a lot of that data collection. We do a lot of the risk mitigation. I've told Andrew before, and we've talked about this, just because somebody comes to us and says, I have X amount of dollars I want to invest, you don't automatically jump to the, okay, here's a recommendation. We, we have got to do a lot of our own risk mitigation to make sure that we, number one, want to even do business with this person. Me and Andrew right. have done, been in the business long enough where we run into people that want us to invest in DNR and... Just crazy stuff. Or they come to you and say and, say what say that they have this money and it turns out that they don't, right? Uh, people that are being scammed that think they have this money coming and they don't. And Ali, we've run into so many crazy situations. Sometimes it's never as easy as just... Hello, my name is John. I want to invest $50,000. What you got for me? <laughs> it's some, hardly as ever that simple, but assuming it is, it's, it's a new guy named John. He's got 50000 He wants to We have to ask a lot of questions, really get to know this person. And that's part of the reason why we are so much into relationships and building a relationship with a client because we really got to understand what it is that you're trying to do before we can make a recommendation. And then to, to speak to the next part, assuming we get through all of that and we get to the point where we want to make a recommendation, me and Andrew are using any number of criteria to make a recommendation. We look at who the manager is, how long they've been in, in investing, how long, what kind of a track record do they have? Is it good, bad, and different? What's their Morningstar rating? What's their standard deviation, their beta, their... What's their up capture, down capture? What kind of a track record is it? Is it 15 years or 50 years? Is it what's their minimum? What's their maximum? How do they offer this thing? Is it through various different channels? Is it what kind of risk is involved? There, there are so many criteria that we look at it and none of them overrides any of the others. Because, But I would say for me, one of the first criteria that I use to determine do I even want to make an investment recommendation on this to somebody is, do I understand what they're doing with the money when I give it to them? And so that really leads me to ask a couple of questions about things you might look at. You mentioned, do you understand how they're making money? And I think that's a great point because if they can't explain it so that you can understand it, it's time to go home. <laughs> but uh, so what about financial statements? or even audited financial statements, and why are those such a critical part of an evaluation of a potential investment opportunity? Go for it. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Andrew. Right after you look at me and nod, that's right. Financial statements are important because it gives you an idea of what it is that company's doing, how they're investing, how they're making money, what their profits, what their losses are. Every business in existence has some kind of a profit motive. Now, what they use those profits for, that's that that could be different. A nonprofit is actually looking to make a profit, but they're using their profits for charitable purposes. A commercial business like ours or any other commercial business, there is a profit motive. We are trying to use your our clients' money in a wise fashion so that we can make them money in our business. And then we take a little slice of the profits and that's our compensation. It is not that hard to explain how we make money, but audited financial statements make a lot of sense because it, it gives you the client information about how that company makes money. And most of the investments, I would say 90, 
95, 99% of the investments that we're involved in have audited financial statements. Now, does that mean that we give our customers our audited financial statements? No, because it's a little different to individuals that run an LLC that don't really provide those things. But when, but our customers are not invested in, in us necessarily right. personally. They're invest. We're helping them invest their money somewhere else. And those are the companies that you want to make sure about. Audited financial statements can be faked. Audited financial can statement financial statements can be lies. It's not the one thing that's going to save an investor from getting taken, but it goes a long way in helping the investor understand that this company at least is trying to show and be transparent about what they do and how they do it. And to tie this back to FTX, the Binance CEO, I believe, was the first one that got that sneak peek of the balance sheet for the balance sheet, income statement, retainer, and he's Statement income, all that. He saw the balance sheet of FTX and what was their, what was that asset that was sitting on there that was so troublesome? It was their token that they had created. And when the demand for that thing went away, the value of that asset plummeted. Boom, there you go. And it turns out the value of that asset was just exaggerated highly. Yeah. So they're, they're important. <laughs> they serve the, a, a very specific purpose. And but in our case, what we're doing, and a lot of times, especially if someone's in some, like a like some kind of fund or something like that. It's made up of a lot of different companies, but that that actual investment company itself would have its own statements, own financial statements, and to provide the same flavor. And we know that we're talking to someone that's in the compliance industry, so I know that we all understand that those financial statements are, especially with publicly traded companies, are supposed to be like the same flavor amongst all the public companies. So you can compare apples to apples, right? So anyway, so yes, that is something that we definitely take a look at, but there's maybe more than just, oh, this is, there's this company that we're looking at investing in or, or that we think might be a good investment opportunity. And we're going to look through its financials. Sometimes it's a little more layered than that, right? Because we might be dealing with an investment company that's made up of a bunch of investments or equity in other companies. Yeah, but one of the things that you have talked about around FTX literally from day one when we started these discussions was where was the company incorporated? Why is that such an important piece of information for someone like yourself? The primary reason is, depending on where that company is incorporated, it gives you an idea of who regulates them. Especially a financial services business, you want to be sure that wherever this, these people are located, the regulatory authorities in that jurisdiction have the ability to help you. And, and whether it's recover your money with a complaint, with slow service, or it is that you have a problem with, you want to be sure that there's some ability of the regulators in that jurisdiction to help you. Now, in the case of FTX, they're located in the Bahamas or in Hong Kong. That's very problematic to me personally, because if you don't know about those things, number one, they're overseas. And so because they're overseas and they're not based in the United States, and I know they had a division that was technically incorporated in the U.S., but their main division that, that controlled everything, the parent company, was based in the Bahamas or Hong Kong originally and then the Bahamas. That's a problem because guess what? There's no U.S. jurisdiction there. They're separate countries. They're separate legal entities. They have The United States does not have the ability to enforce the U.S. laws in those countries. They don't. And what most investors do, especially Americans, and I don't mean this ugly, but a lot of Americans think that they have rights 
everywhere all the time, 24-7, no matter where they go. I hate to be the one to tell you this, but your U.S. rights end when you cross the U.S. border. You have no rights except for what the rights of the country are that you're in. In the Bahamas, the U.S. rights, U.S. laws do not apply there. Same thing with Hong Kong. That, to me, right there is a red flag. Plus, my understanding is that there's no extradition treaty between Hong Kong and the Bahamas with the United States. So if any of those people, big time executive officers or CEOs get found or get caught with their hand in the cookie jar, as the saying, there's no ability for U.S. authorities to bring them to the U.S. and say, hey, we're going to hold you accountable. That's a problem. One of the terms that has come to the fore in the FTX matter is something called related transactions or related party transactions, I should say. In the fraud world and the accounting world, I think that term is fairly well known. But I was wondering if you could explain what a related party transaction is and why it can be so problematic. I would just say that really talking about conflict of interest, right? So I don't know. Do you have a thought on that? Other yeah, than going down, I don't want to go down the conflict of interest rabbit hole we, because <laughs> we've, we talk about that a good bit. But. I think that's the key there. It, what you have to understand that related party transactions generate a whole slew of conflicts of interest. And conflicts of interest are a really big deal because it puts somebody else's reasoning at question. You, you have to question what's their motive for doing this related party transaction. Is it a benefit to the customer or is it a benefit to the other party? And in our financial services industry that we're in, conflicts of interest are a huge, huge problem. Now, how do we get around that in our business right now, currently? Disclosure. We do a yeah. lot of disclosure. As an example, when I make a recommendation for to a client for an investment, I earn a fee. Sometimes it's called a commission, sometimes it's called an advisory fee, sometimes it's called a markup, sometimes it's called whatever it's called. There is a fee that is paid to me. That's how I make my living. Now, is that a problem? I don't think so. But what we have to do in our business is disclose that conflict of interest. Now, also in our business, does that drive our decision making, the fees that we collect or the fee that we make when we make a recommendation? No, I can honestly say that for me and Andrew, what we get paid is immaterial to our decision-making. Does it factor into it? Yes, it has to, because that's how we earn a living, but it's not the first issue that we're looking at. And when we do have a conflict of interest, we have disclosure. When you have a situation like an FTX or the related party Alameda research that they were doing business with, those related parties, they didn't do disclosure. Hell, I don't think, even if they did, I don't think they regarded it or paid any attention to it. There's a lot of stuff that comes out that, that seems to indicate that, number one, they didn't give disclosure. Number two, even if they had, they still did a lot of things that were, in most cases, would be illegal or, in, at a minimum, unethical in our country if they were based here. So related party transactions are a really, really big deal. And I, I would submit to you that's how a lot of these Ponzi schemes end up unfolding or falling apart because they have these interrelated parties that are making money, moving money around. And all of a sudden, when people come in and try to get their money out, the first related party doesn't have it because they lent it all out or gave it to the other related party and it falls apart. So serious issues 
related party transactions are very important and people need to understand what they are and how they can affect them. I'd like to end this part of our podcast where we've talked about focused on the investor to look at or at least talk about some of the huge institutional investors and hedge funds that invested in FTX. You mentioned Byance and what happened when they had the opportunity to see the, as you call it, balance sheet, not audited financial statements. <laughs> How about spreadsheet? They're made up, made <laughs> spreadsheet. up fantasy. <laughs> but copy and paste it on a Word document. <laughs> I guess one of the things that stunned me the most from October 2021 until literally this month, FTX had been able to raise an additional $1 billion in capital. And this was from large head funds, large pension funds, people and entities that I would have thought would have known better. Is it just they want to get in on the next big thing? Do their friends do it and put pressure on them? Is it a just a wet tidal wave of let's get in on this? Is it the individual charisma of someone like the person who ran FTX? Is it all of the above? Is it none of the above? What? How does something like that happen? My my quick response to that, I would say definitely a mixture of all of that. And I would even, I would probably wager that you could go through there and if you peel back the layer layers on some of those things, I bet it could have been different points for different institutions that make that decision. There is a, every time I've had this conversation that there is a documentary about Anna Delvey on Netflix, which was, she, you talk about individual charisma and the way she got over on some of the bankers and that comes to mind. And I think a big part of SBF and his, what he had going on was his charisma and was what he was swinging around. And he knew, I feel like he knew, and just me speculating, I feel like he knew that they knew they were in an unregulated fringe on the fringe arena. And this was the time to really go big. And so, you know, he was, looked at, I think, as the young entrepreneur that kind of, he filled the spot. Like there was one, like in that industry, right, because of the frenzy and that unfolded with the demand for that industry and and companies being created around crypto and all this stuff, there had to be someone that kind of advanced out in front of everybody as the leader. The, I don't want to say, he was looked at as like a not like a savant, but, oh, you, you're way out. You're the outlier. Outlier would be a good word. And I feel like he had the charisma to go along with it. And that blinded a lot of people. And, it, you know, at the end of the day, I think it was a mix of all those things that you just mentioned. I think that was a great list that you just listed off. But I for sure think in this case, FTX's case, his individual charisma and persona played a big part in a lot of that. I would say this, that definitely it's a mix of all those things that you talked about, Tom. But I would also say this, that this should go to to everybody out there that even the smartest, brightest, wealthiest people can be taken advantage of. If you have the right elements in place, there's a lot of very wealthy people, celebrities that have advisors with them, hedge funds, pension funds, any number of very substantial. And like you say, Tom, people that should have known better, they should have asked questions. They didn't think part of it is any of those people that run like a hedge fund or a pension fund. If you're a member of that pension fund or you have money invested with that hedge fund and they did this or they were part of this, you should immediately pull out your money. And if you're part of a pension fund, it should immediately make you question the leadership of that pension fund. 
that they would be so stupid to do something like that. Thank anybody that, that got into this type of thing and lost money for their investors, their members, their pensioners, what, whatever it is that they were part of, how they were part of it. People should be losing jobs. People should be really evaluating, reevaluating their tolerance for risk. And it, at the very least, for a lot of these private hedge funds, they have lost tons of money, hundreds of millions of dollars. That in and of itself should serve as a, a wake-up call to those people. But if you're a hedge fund investor and you, your hedge fund was in that, man, you ought to be suing left and right <laughs> to say, hey, what in the heck are you doing? But frankly, a lot of these hedge funds have language built into their documents that say, hey, you, when, you gave, when you signed on with us, you gave us carte blanche to do whatever the heck we wanted and yeah. we did it. And okay, we take it, we made an investment. It was going well, but now it's zero. Sorry. There's very limited options there, but golly, if, if you are a pension, if you're part of that Quebec, I think it was a Quebec pension fund was one of the largest investors there. They've lost hundreds of millions of dollars. So, yeah, the Ontario Teachers Pension Fund. Ontario Teachers Fund. Thank you. You ought to be raising all kinds of hell and saying, why did you people do this? Because the basic rule about investing is, if you don't understand it, you shouldn't do it. And as smart as I like to think I am, I truly do not understand how that works. I really don't. And if I can't understand it, and I wouldn't do it for myself, I'm sure as hell I ain't going to put anybody else in it. Not if I couldn't anyway, because our firm, our broker dealer has... Right. done their due diligence, done the risk management and said, you know what? We don't think, we don't understand this and we don't think it's suitable for any of our financial advisors that work with us or use us as their broker dealer to offer these types of things to their clients. We just don't understand. And I have heard from several other advisors and broker dealers that they've lost advisors because of that, because of the restrictions that they've placed on those things. And Frankly, crypto is not the only thing that we're restricted from doing for people. We can't do cannabis-related stocks. We can't do penny stocks. Yep. Our firm, the firm that we work for, has done a lot of their own homework and said, hey, listen, we just don't think that's suitable at all for us, and we don't want it. If you want to do it, you need to find somewhere else to do it because you ain't doing it here. And I think that all of those groups, they violated the first rule about investing it. And I think, too, sometimes... Some of the leaders of those organizations have decided, you know what? I'm smart. Ain't nobody going to take me. Nobody's going to rip me off. I've been doing this for 40 years or whatever, and I've invested hundreds of millions of dollars. I'm not getting taken, but I bet you if you ask them, hey, did you see their, uh, did you see their financials? They're all going to have to say no. And if they say yes, then the, you're going to have to also then question, why do you think that financial statement that you saw is accurate. You don't understand what they're doing and how they're doing it. It's a shame. It's a real shame. And I've always thought in my mind, there's a special place in hell reserved for people that do these kind of frauds because it, it's devastating. It can be devastating to a lot of people. It's horrible. Gentlemen, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time for this episode. But before we leave, I was wondering if our listeners wanted any more information on yourselves or the Texas, financial, Texas Hill Country Financial Advisors, what would be the best place for them to go? Website, TexasHillCountryAdvisors.com, or you can straight up give us a call on our landline, 830-955-9900, or you can just come out of the office. That's fine, too. We're on the fifth floor of the Kerrville South Tower right off of Sydney Baker South next to a Japanese hibachi restaurant. 
Bonsai and across Bonsai. the street from the small H-E-B here in Kerrville. Right, right. Or you can check us out on Facebook. Uh, oh, yes. We also do Facebook, a... <laughs> YouTube, LinkedIn. We, right. we do distribute. We go. We have a live show and podcast, if you will, on Facebook, YouTube, and LinkedIn that we do live every weekday. We also have distribution in all the spots where podcasts exist. So Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon we, Music. We do our own radio. podcast about the investment world, and we're there on podcasts for sure. You can get really sick of us if you want to. Yeah. <laughs> it's not hard to find us. So, gentlemen, I wanted to thank you for taking the time to visit with me, and I hope we can continue this conversation. Thank you for having us, Tom. Thank you, Tom. This is Tom Fox again. Hope you enjoyed this part two of a special two-part series on FTX and risk. My guests for both parts one and two were Andrew Gay and Gilbert Pies from the Texas Hill Country Financial Advisors, and I've given their show uh, links in the show notes. So if you want more information, I would uh, check them out. I hope you'll join me again next week in the FCPA Compliance Report, where I have uh, another couple of great guests, Scott Garland and Zach Hafer, talk to us about transitioning from the U.S. Attorney's Office to private practice. This special two-part series on the FTX scandal and risk has been a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.